Hello there, and welcome to Odessa First Assembly's weekly podcast, where we bring you the heart of our Sunday message. I'm Tony, your host and the face behind our digital ministry. We're excited to dive into today's sermon, exploring the Word of God together. So grab your coffee, find a comfy spot, and let's embark on this journey of faith. Without further ado, here's this week's sermon. Soil to receive your word. We thank you for it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So John chapter 4, we're going to look this morning, and we're going to talk about the Samaritan woman. We're in the series, Encounters with Jesus, and we're going to look at Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well, this um, Samaritan woman. And so as, as I was thinking about this, you know, I was thinking about, I don't, you know, I remember many times as a, you know, growing up, my parents warning me about somebody um, warning me that you know they, somebody might be a bad influence, or I, actually in my case it was more cousins and friends. I don't know. We we had that kind of family. I don't know about your family, um, but it, hey, listen, if you're in the house and you you never had that discussion um, with your parents, if your parents never told you that, there may be a good chance you were the bad influence. <laughs> I mean, your parents are like, oh, I would. Those poor friends, but anyway, um, maybe, you know, but you know, life, you, you know, maybe you never planned to be um, the bad influencer. You never planned to be that. You, you know, I, I don't think we actually plan, you know, the, the bad things that go wrong in our life. You know, usually they, they blindside us. And, but I, I also think there's a lot of people that that's not your past, but maybe you feel like that now. You do not feel good enough. You don't feel like, maybe you feel like you have a bad reputation. Maybe, maybe you say to yourself, if, they, if, if those people in church really knew, if they really knew who I was, if they really knew what I had done, and, and maybe you're here and uh, you've tried to quit some addiction or pattern in your life and, you know, cold turkey and, and you've tried to stay clean and you're all in this battle of, of going back. And, um, and maybe there's some trust issues of your family they have towards you. And, you know, when people see you, maybe you feel like they just see your mistakes. Drunk, addict abuser, whatever the case may be. And I, I want you to know that whatever your perception of you is, whether someone else's perception of you, accurate or not, God can create a new you. God can do a work in you and to make you a new person. I mean, we quote it all the time, right? If any man be in Christ, what is he? What, what is he or she? They are a new creation. And so the question this morning is, is there hope for a loser? Is, is there a chance for an outcast? Is, does God really have a plan and purpose for your life no matter what you have done, where you have fallen short, or where you have made mistakes. Or no matter where you are right now, does God have a plan for your life? And so we're going to look. We're going to look at the woman at the well. She was a reject. She was an outcast. She was one that everyone avoided 
And we're going to talk more about that in just a few moments. But so one day we pick up in John chapter four and we see that she was at the well for water. She was alone. She was by herself. I mean, I, I tend to think maybe, I, I, you know, I, I, am, I know I'm reading into this and projecting, but I can see her being in a place of, of hopelessness, just kind of going through the motions, kind of feeling like life is pointless. But in an instant, because of Jesus, everything shifted and changed in her life. And so I want to pick up in John chapter 4, and I, don't, I want us to look very quickly at verse 4. This one simple sentence, John chapter 4, verse 4. It says that he had to go through Samaria on the way. He was going from one place to another. And the scripture, I, that just leaps out at me that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, the way Jesus was traveling, now listen, the way that Jesus was traveling, Samaria was right in the way. Like you, to go where he wanted to go, he had to go through Samaria. The scripture tells us he was going from um, Jerusalem to Galilee, right in between of Jerusalem and Galilee is Samaria. But here's the problem, is that as he's going, going to go through Samaria, you see the Jewish people and the Samaritans, they, they didn't get along very well. They, they were not in good relationship with one another. And really the, the Jewish people had a great um, prejudice towards Samaritans. There was a, treat, a, a deep distrust. And it started all the way, like if you go all the way back to the Old Testament, when the Babylonians conquered the southern kingdom of Judah, when Israel had separated, I mean, that was the roots that Samaria had. And so really, um, it was a lot of intermarrying between Jewish people and Babylonians, and out of that came Samarians. And so, I mean, the, the Samaritans uh, this, they became this new ethnic religious group, and they had a, a mix. They had a mix of, of and worship like from the laws of Moses, but they also had a lot of superstition. And so they combined that into one, um, one religion, and the Jewish people literally, I know this is a negative term and, you know, that we kind of, society uses, but I mean, really, I mean, they saw them as, as half-breeds, not worthy. They had a very disdained view of the Samaritans. And so here's Jesus, and the Bible says he had to go through Samaria. And I love the way the scripture says that. You see, any other Jewish person, you know what they would have done? They would have gone around Samaria. They wouldn't have gone, even though it was the most direct route, they would have gone around. They would not have gone through. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, to get the fastest way from Odessa to get to Amarillo is through Lubbock. And so maybe you have enough issue with Lubbockites. I looked that up. That's the accurate term. I was going to call them Lubbockonians and not, you know, Lubbockans, but they're online. Now, Google could be wrong, but Google said they're called Lubbockites. And so you have an issue with these Lubbockites. And so you got to go to Amarillo. So you know what you're going to do? Either you're going to swing way out and go through New Mexico, 
Or you're going to swing way out and go whatever's on the other side, like Canadian or something, I don't know, or Wheeler or whatever was over there. I can't remember what's over there. But you're going to go way out the other way to bypass Lubbock. I mean, that's exactly what the Jews did. But the Bible says that Jesus had, had to go. Jesus had a purpose for his trip to Samaria. I mean, I think Jesus knew there was going to be this divine appointment with the woman at the well. But listen to me. Number one is this. Jesus can find you when you think you're in a place where you can't be found. I know that's a mouthful, but Jesus can find you when you think you're in a place where you can't be found. When you think you are unfindable, Jesus can find you. And so listen, we can see that it's a very positive, good thing, but for some that kind of, it's kind of like, I don't want that because the reality is this, you might be intentionally trying to be lost, or you're unintentionally trying to be lost. But it doesn't matter which category you are, Jesus can find you. Jesus knows exactly where you're at. If you're living for the Lord faithful, he sees you. If you are living unfaithfully, he sees you. If you're at the mountaintop and things are going well, he sees you. If you're in the valley and you think you're overcome by circumstance and and clouds and storms, he sees through it all and he sees you. You see, there is nowhere you can go that the presence of the Lord will not touch you. The promise is in Psalm 139, verse 7, it's a little bit of a longer passage, five verses, but let's look at it. Psalm 139, the psalmist wrote, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to the heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me, your strength will support me. Verse 11, I could ask the darkness to hide. Look, look, I I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night but even in the darkness I cannot hide from you to you the night shines bright as day darkness the light are the same to you the reality is this you are going to respond some way to God's presence when God is working stirring moving and doing his work you are going to respond a lot of people think their non-response is a response and the reality is their non-response is a response Listen, you may reject or you may accept. You may run away or you may run closer. There is always going to be a response to the presence of the Lord. I mean, you, you may even try to escape to the bathroom. We're fixing to put speakers in our remodel in the bathroom. You're not, you're not going to get away. Not cameras, but the speakers. Okay. John chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Eventually, he came. So he's going through. Samaria, he comes to a village. The actual pronunciation is, is Suhar, but we say Sakar because it's just easier, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. So we're going back, kind of you know, reaching back in the Old Testament to give us some perspective. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. I mean, this is a side note. I think this points what we believe about Jesus, that he was 100% man and 100% God. And so we see a little bit of that. Remember last week we talked about that he was tempted all points of us, 
There's nothing that we have gone through that he had not experienced. And so we see that he's gotten tired. Verse 7. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Verse 8, for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. But so we see Jesus there. He's at this well. The, the Samaritan woman comes up, doing her daily chore, getting water from the well. I mean, it was, it was hard. It was hot. It was probably boring. But God knew exactly where she would be. How did God know exactly where she would be? Because no matter where we are, God knows where we are. That was number one, right? And so he had divinely arranged a, a meeting. So there's this divine appointment between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And so number two is this. Divine appointments happen in the daily routines of life. Divine appointments happen in the daily routines of life. What do I mean by that? I think as believers, and I think sometimes as you know, charismatic and even Pentecostal believers, you know, we think there's going to be a whole lot of crying and a whole lot of snot bubbles to have a divine appointment with God. Hello, anybody with me? Are you following me? I mean, I, I think we really see that things that way. I mean, the only place God can speak to me is, is in the altar in a really good service and I got goosebumps, chill bumps and you know, whatever. And, and that's not necessarily the case. Matter of fact, I would present to you that the majority of our divine appointments, if we're doing this life right, is going to be in the daily routine. But the daily routine bores us. You know why? Because we are event driven people. Listen, I believe in those moments, those encounters with God. I believe in those moments of just like during worship where he just, he overwhelms by his power and his spirit. I believe in those moments when, when this, that breakthrough happens and that, that touch of God. But listen to me, God uses the still small voice. God speaks in us through his Holy Spirit. And it's not always going to be a thunderclap. What seemed like, what seemed like just a random moment of Jesus being tired, sitting by a well, needing a drink, God's creating a setup. God is creating a setup. I, you know, I, we were talking, and I think so many, I, I mean, we were talking um, recently about Frank and Precious and Candace Berry running into Frank at, at the... 7-Eleven, now DK, and, and that divine moment, and so many of our Cuban brothers and sisters of just, we were on a walk that the, the, um, uh, the walk that Tony sponsored last year, and we were walking by a group of people, and Angela picks up on an accent, she says, they're Cuban, and so we stop, stop and start talking. I mean, it, and it, it, those moments just happen, and it's, you're not looking for them to happen. We were doing something else, but God had a setup. Are you following me? So why am I sharing about this? Listen, there are people in your life that God has brought into your circle for you to minister to. And so many times, you know, we get, we get more frustrated than excited, right? I mean, because, you know, maybe they're just, I mean, they are, they, they, I mean, they are just going to hell in a handbasket. And we're pulling our hair out and we're frustrated and we're judgmental and we're mad. Maybe the divine appointment is, is for you just to walk through life with them and the river of God flow out of you to bring life to them. Maybe in that moment, you're the well. Come on, somebody. And I'm not, I know I'm not being animated and like screaming this, but maybe you're the well. 
Maybe you're the spring of God. And so God is just not limited to a specific time or place. And I know this is simple, but I think when you get this, that God is not limited to a specific time or place. Years ago, I'll never forget, this is one of those moments I've heard, it's kind of seared in my, my brain. You just have those memories, right? And, and I have this memory. Um, there was a group of a, a college ministry that came to see us one time. And they had spent the service with us and we had lunch together and we we're kind of, we we're walking out and, and they're going to load up in their van and we're just all chit-chatting and talking and everything. And I just really felt an impression of the Lord. We're walking to their van. I said, Hey guys, you know, can we just stop a second? Can we just, I just want to, we just need to circle up. God's about to do something. I mean, and, and the leader was like, Oh, you're going to pray for safety. I was like, no, God's got a deeper work. And so we circled up, began to pray. We, and in that moment, students were filled in the Holy Spirit. Students were set free. I mean, God just like dumped. I mean, it was like an atomic Holy Ghost bomb. Boom. Just right there. And, and after it kind of all, it, it kind of dwindled down. I, I, I mean, I'm not smart enough to come up with this stuff, guys, okay? And so I, I felt in my heart the Lord say, this is going to speak to some of you. But see, you don't have to have a 45-minute worship service and a 45 minute sermon for God to do something. And I think so many times walking through life, we wait for that moment when the reality is, is that if God is truly omnipresent, if the glory of the Lord truly fills all of the earth, which he does, if God's presence fills you, which he does, then any moment can be a God moment. Any moment can be a God moment. Man, that just gave me goosebumps. That didn't happen very often. Divine appointments sometimes become inopportune moments. Listen, I'll, I'll tell you something. That's, I think, one of the reasons why we miss them. Because we, in that moment, think, I don't have time. Right? I got this next errand to do. I got to get here. I got that to do. I mean, here's my to-do list. I want to encourage you to be sensitive to the Lord leading you to those divine moments. You don't have to meet God in church. You can meet God any place. In the normal routine of life, God can meet you. Just don't tell me when it happens in the shower. I'm a visual person, and people weekly come to me. I was taking a shower, and God spoke to me. I was like, you know what? I didn't hear anything after you are in the shower. I, Lord help me. Okay. How do I know this woman was an outcast? You know, I, I of course I have the advantage. I know the story. I've read the story. She wasn't there in the cool of the morning, nor was she there in the late of the evening. She was there in the heat of the day. And this woman who whose name we never learned came at a time when no one else would be at that at that well. And so here God sets it up. I, you know, maybe she had grown tired of the snubs and the stares and the whispers behind her back. Right, honey, we don't, yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't get around people like that. Why, why do I say that? It's because we know by our own, you know, we know that she had many broken relationships in her life. And in that culture and time, it would have caused her to be an outcast. Are you following me? But here's what I want you to know. The third thing is this, is that Jesus loves the outcast. 
Jesus loves the outcast. And I just want to remind us all in the building or who may be watching online or watch this later, I want to remind you of something. The Bible says the kingdom of God are made up, is made up of prostitutes and tax collectors. It didn't say CEOs. It didn't say, you know, the, the put together family down the street. Is it what makes up the kingdom of God? The outcast makes up the kingdom of God. Jesus loved the ones others hated. Jesus loved the Samaritans. He knew how his brethren saw the Samaritans and the prejudice. They listen, read between the lines of what I'm saying. He knew the prejudice of the Jewish people towards the Samaritans, but Jesus loved them anyway. And, and maybe it could be said, why, what, 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 what in the world could keep them from loving them? Jesus treated people with respect, the tax collectors and the prostitutes. I mean, think about the woman caught in adultery. That may be one of the counters that I do preach about, but think about the woman caught in adultery. You know, they bring her and throw her at Jesus, and I'm thinking, what were you doing to catch her? What were you doing to catch her? And Jesus treated that woman and that moment with a respect. He without sin catch the first stone. I know what she did, but I also know what you did. Jesus blessed those who could not be bless him in return. I mean, we see the pattern over and over and over and over. Listen, when no one else cares, Jesus does. When no one else cares, Jesus does. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. Verse 9. Well, I'm going to have to, we, I'm going to have to talk really fast. Verse 9, the woman was surprised for Jew. I mean, I mean, picture this in your mind's eye. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And then she said to Jesus, you are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? I mean, you got to process that moment. I mean, she knows. I mean, not only is Jesus Jewish and she's Samaritan, he's a man and she's a woman. I mean, there's so many things happening right here in this moment. And she's like, why would you talk to me? And I don't have this in your notes. I don't have it on the screen, but I want you to know something. I know I say this so often, but you need to know that you are a worthy vessel for God to do his work in. So many times we sell ourselves short because of the mistakes that we make or something locked in a closet in the past, but you, when you are covered and washed in the blood of Jesus, you are a worthy vessel for the Holy Spirit to do in you what needs to be done. And that's it. There's no other to-do list. There's no other, you know, there's nothing else, you know, uh, you know, seven points that we got to do. If you stand right with God, then God wants to use you and do something in you. She knew it was an unusual moment because Jews had not talked to Samaritans. And this is a very simple, very, very simple elementary point. But Jesus' priority was always relationship. Was always relationship. The reason that he came 
from the steps of heaven to be born in this earth as a child, as a baby, and to live that life in human form was out of relationship. He wanted you reconciled with the Father. That was the purpose. And that, you know, there's all kinds of directions. I know that we could go with this, but the thing I want you to know is that Jesus does. Some of, sometimes, I mean, we, we treat Jesus like the idol on the mantle or a side point in our life or, or in our little box, but it's more than that. Your relationship with Jesus is more important than your vocation. Your relationship with Jesus is more important than any dream or vision you might have. Your relationship with Jesus is the most important chief thing. But yet so many times that relationship suffers because of all the other static in our life. But also I want you to know that that speaks to us because what should be the priority for us? Relationship. You know, we're going to get to practice that in just, the, just next week with International Connect. Oh, yeah, I went there, did it on purpose. Are you following me? Relation, listen, relationship's more important than a platform. And so I, with that, I, I felt the Lord just kind of just drop something in my heart just a, a, a while back. So kind of a, a new saying, a truism that you might start hearing more often, each one reach one. You may not feel like that you can reach the thousands, but each one can reach one. Each one can reach one. Verse nine, verse nine, we still got 20 verses to go. Verse nine, the woman, the woman was surprised. Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Jesus said, Jesus said you are a Jew. I, and I, a Samaritan woman, why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied. It's like we're reading now like at two, time, you know, two times instead of one times. If you only knew the gift of God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I'd give you living water. But sir, I, you don't have a rope or a bucket. I, you know, oh, I could get, if I'd quit rabbit trails. Okay, so God would get so much more done in our life if we would quit looking at what's physically available. I mean, for real. That, I mean, so much more could be done in us and through us if we wouldn't look at the, at the physical but rely on him in faith. But sir, you don't have a rope. Um, the well's deep. Where do I get this living water? Verse 12, you, do you think you're greater than the ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water then he and his sons and the animals enjoyed. And so, I mean, really, I mean, you can, you can actually read into this a little bit of sarcasm. I mean, she's being just a touch sarcastic in her response to Jesus. And so she's missing it. She didn't get it. But Jesus responds anyway. Verse 13, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Verse 15, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll, I'll, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Listen, number five is this, is that Jesus can only fill the emptiness. 
Jesus get and this doesn't matter if you've been saved five minutes or 50 years there's something I've learned as I've lived this life out there are moments and times and season where still moments of emptiness come into my life and we'll try all kinds of things to fill that emptiness I mean I'm fixing to move into 27 years full-time ministry and there are times where I go through, seasons I go through, and I have these pockets of emptiness in, emptiness in my life. And I'm going to tell you what one thing I have found. I mean, I'm, I know I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but enough, enough hard work, I can break the ground. It's okay. Is that somewhere in my life, a spiritual discipline has been pushed to the back burner. And it's usually prayer and Bible. I know it's a Sunday school answer. But if we would become a biblical, literate people and a prayerful people, you can't imagine what that would change. It would change so much in our life. Jesus can only feel the emptiness. So many, they feel empty. They feel hollow. They feel unsatisfied. It's Jesus is the only one that can satisfy our soul. He's the only one. Some of you are chasing money. It will not satisfy you. Many of you have chased the opposite sex, that you just have to be in a relationship. The most important relationship is Jesus. The Bible says, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. Verse 16. So God said, so Jesus said, get your husband. So now we're going to go to like synoptic version right now. Okay. So just hang on. Just follow along best you can. I don't have a husband. He said, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and you're not even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth, sir, the woman said. You must be a prophet. I mean, this had to really take her by surprise, right? Maybe you've had moments in your life where somebody somebody read your mail, but that's where we know that she had been in a place of rejection because she had these previous husbands and in, in, in that culture, in that first century, it, the women could not initiate divorce. So what that meant was all these men had rejected her. And now the men, she, and I, so I'm gonna say this really slow because I don't have a whole lot of time to expound on it. And so the one she was with did not see her worth to put a ring on her finger. But he was with her for a whole lot of other reasons. Pause for effect. Listen, whether man or woman, you are worth the ring and the covenant of marriage. Jesus didn't dwell on the past. He wasn't worried. I mean, I mean, he points it out, but he wasn't worried about those men. He wasn't worried about who she was with now. Listen, Jesus knows your past and he loves you anyway. He loves you anyway. Verse 20. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while Samaritans claim it's here, the Mount of um, Jerusalem, and however you say that word, and our ancestors worshiped? Verse 21, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when you will no, lo- when no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. 
You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, because remember, their religions intermixed. While we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes to the Jews, but the time is coming, indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. I really believe an invitation is being made to this woman at the well of Jesus saying, here's an open door to worship. The Father's looking for those who will worship him in that way. The Father is looking for those who will worship that what way? Worship in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, so they must worship worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then that's where Jesus, he, he lowers the bomb. Jesus told her, I'm he. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one. And I, I do, some other translations, that's exactly how they say he declared it. I... New Living, I'm the Messiah, a lot of other translations, I am he. And so, here he reveals himself to the Samaritan woman. Listen, it doesn't matter. There's so many, this is for free too. There's so many out there saying they've got this inside line on Jesus. They're going to show you something that you could never know unless they told you. I'm going to tell you what that fits in my, in my box. It's false prophet, false teacher. Jesus is always willing to reveal himself to the ones that want to see him. Number six is this. Jesus is the answer. He says, I am he. And so really quickly this morning, wherever you are, Jesus is the answer. Your finances aren't being met. Jesus is the answer. You feel alone and rejected in life. Jesus is the answer. You're at a place where you think God's usefulness for you is gone. Jesus is the answer. All around us, hurting people need Jesus. All around us. We need to open our eyes and be ready to be used by the Lord. The seventh thing is this, is that he will turn your past into your testimony. I've said so many times that your Greatest struggle can become your greatest ministry. And here's the reality of it. That's not always like a past tense statement. I I, I would dare say that the biggest battles I've ever gone through have been while I was saved. Are you are you following me on this? And so listen, that's not just something I know, and, you know, I mean, a lot of us may have a past and, and, you know, you look back there and there's addictions and jail, you know, all kinds of stuff that maybe God can use for ministry, but that process, it never stops. You're, you're going to face valleys in your life and you're surrounded by people. Maybe as you're coming out of that valley, they're coming in and God has given you a knowledge base to be able to minister to those that are coming into that spot where you were. Jesus will turn your past into a testimony. We don't celebrate our past, but we use it to point others to God. I want to encourage you that, and listen, I'm all about, I've been open, I've been so open about sharing my faith and sharing my past and things that I've been through, but I'm going to tell you something I've been around people and they start talking about their BC days. You know what your BC days are? Your 
before Christ's days. And you hear them getting around and start talking about it. I'm thinking, you still have an affection for what you went through. And one reason why people struggle and that cycle doesn't stop is because they still have affection for some places they've been. I think some of you need a, a scriptural reference that maybe help you understand. Um, when children of Israel came out of Egypt, they never once, never once, except for Joshua and Caleb, never once looked forward to the promised land. They were also looking back. Hello? If you want freedom in your life, then break that affection for what it used to be. I'm looking at what I can skip and still get my sermon across. So let's all stand. I'll stop right there. Thanks for joining us on this week's podcast. Be sure to tune in next time for more inspirational messages. Connect with us on social media at Odessa First AG. And if you'd like to support our ministry, visit odessafirstassembly.com forward slash giving. Until next time, stay blessed.